Welcome to Satisfied, where our aim is to behold the glory of God. I'm Nick Jackson, pastor of Timberline Baptist Church in Lacey, Washington. And this is Bobby Gaither, pastor of Hope Fellowship in Hillsboro, Oregon. Nick is celebrating because now, for two podcasts in a row, he has nailed... Not messed up. He the nailed intro. the introduction. Yes, it's very good. Hey, well, today we... No, this is like podcast number 33, 34? Uh, we're getting up Something there, like yeah. that. So, yeah, I mean, it's about time I, I get the intro it's, done right. You know, 30's about right. Yeah. When you start to you hit a groove in life, too, right? Mid-30s. <laughs> That's good. That's no, good. I don't know. The mid-30s are a little bit past me now. <laughs> me too. Uh, hey, today we have a special guest, uh, my friend, my neighbor. He comes strolling through our yard, well, kind of our yard, through the church uh, with his dog and his lovely wife. Uh, but his name is Tom Cole. Tom has been a judge in Washington County. He's a retired judge, uh, and he has a ministry called Paid in Full. We're going to hear about that today and a little bit of his story about how that came about. Hi, Tom. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on this podcast. It's my first ever podcast. So, yeah. Thanks, Bobby, well, and nice meeting you, Nick. The, the trick is to talk like we're talking uh-huh. and just forget that the mic is there. Okay. That's <laughs> our first podcast. Sounds about right. Our first podcast was pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, I think we're we're like we're like wine. Yeah, that's right. We, we, just, we get better with we age. Get better with age. That's right. That's right. A lot of age. So, so Tom. Um, would you give us a backstory? Uh, so we have this ministry called Paid in Full, and, and I want to talk more later about where you guys are at and, and, and what you're doing now, uh, what your aim is, and maybe some of your goals. Uh, but how did this all come to be? Yeah, so you refer to it as Paid in Full. It's actually Paid in Full, Oregon. Uh, our website is paidinfulloregon.org if people want to go there and learn more about this organization. But uh, actually, it started off... Uh, um, Probably it was about 13, a little over 13 years ago, uh, and it started off uh, with the parents' worst nightmare. My daughter, Megan, was brutally murdered on July 21st, 2006, and uh, I never thought that uh, that murder would end up uh, with things the way they are today. I mean, only God could orchestrate the story that's going on that started uh, 13 years ago. Yeah. And at that time, you were a drug court judge in Washington County. I was. Uh, I was uh, appointed to the bench in 1997 by uh, Governor Kitzhaber. We started drug court, which is a treatment court for people who are involved in the criminal justice system uh, who are addicts. Um, and um, what it does is it really uh, encourages people. Uh, they have to plead guilty to any charges they have pending in the court system. And then... They're, they're given over to us in drug court, and uh, we actually uh, go, have them go through treatment and counseling for at least 18 months. And so the hope is that in the end uh, they won't be going to prison, but they'll be uh, recovered and uh, uh, going in back into the community as valued citizens and taxpaying citizens uh, yeah. and uh, not committing crimes anymore. So we've been very successful. Our drug court uh, graduated 169 people during the period of time that uh, I was a drug court judge in Washington County, and we actually saved the state about uh, 230, uh, well, it was more than that. It was 20, 23 years of prison time, which equated out to about $9 million in savings to the state. 
because it costs about $35,000 a year to keep somebody in prison, yeah. and it costs $5,000 a year to put them in an outpatient treatment program through drug courts. So wow. we had national recognition. We, we, just, we had a great time uh, just working with uh, people who are on probation. And so you it know, was that's a wonderful a, experience, my best job ever. That's a great statistic to bring when you ask for a pay raise, too, yeah. right? <laughs> Hey, we just saved you guys this much. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, what's the uh, what's the t- statistic um, that you are at least aware of for those who go through drug court uh, for the full eighteen months? How many of them um, do are able to to stay out of the system? Then okay, you're talking about recidivism. Okay, and uh, yeah, so the typical recidivism I think is probably close to forty or fifty percent. Okay. Uh, and with drug court, we had a less than 10% recidivism. Wow. Rate. So it was really, really good. People are going to mess up uh, when they get out of drug court. Uh, you know, we all make mistakes. But, uh, yeah, so we we uh, uh, expected that, you know, some recidivism. But uh, we were really kind of shocked ourselves at how low it was uh, for people who had actually graduated from our program. So so I, I brought up, I mean, not just the fact that you were a judge, but that, that drug court was part is part of your story. Um, and it's part, I, I read your book, Losing Megan. Uh, so uh, Tom wrote a book about that experience, and, and you'll probably talk a little bit more about that as well. Uh, but that seemed to interplay both your daughter and your experience at drug court with paid in full Oregon. Yeah, yeah. So, so the book, it's called uh, Losing Megan, Finding Hope, Comfort, and Forgiveness in the Midst of Murder. I just refer to it generally as Losing Megan. And I wrote that book uh, uh, probably, it was in 2012 when it was published, so a little, little, uh, a little uh, six years after she was murdered. And so, so the book is about uh, uh, forgiveness. It's about drug court. It, 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 it interplays between the, the drug court and, and Megan and her life and, and her death and what Jesus did with that. And so... Um, it's a short book. It's 130-some pages long. You can read it uh, while you're waiting for the light to change, generally. So, <laughs> so uh, it, it takes a couple of hours to read. So that's been my ministry tool over the last uh, probably uh, eight or nine years uh, is that, that book itself. So I've, it's, it's, been, it's been a tremendous asset uh, to, to uh, show the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to people that I've come into, you know, met in my life so yeah so so what happened is uh you know megan megan was uh, murdered on july 21st 2006 uh, and it seemed like shortly after that jesus was giving me the power to forgive the man who murdered my daughter before he even knew who he was uh, didn't pray for that didn't ask for it it was just purely a gift from jesus that uh, he gave me that rather than having resentment and bitterness and anger mm-hmm. towards that person so um, they arrested the man who murdered my daughter about a year after after the murder. He pled not guilty. Uh, there was a trial in Clackamas County. Uh, the jury found him guilty. I testified at the sentencing phase of that trial and uh, uh, told the jury the impact of the loss of Megan uh, on on my family and, and myself. And then also was able to address the defendant. His first name is Robert. And uh, I told him at the sentencing hearing, I said, Robert, uh, you know, I was able to forgive you before I even knew who you were. And that was only through the power and presence of Jesus Christ in my life. And uh, I ended up, after testifying, I was crying and he was crying. And some members of the jury were crying, were crying, crying also. Mm. 
So he was ended. He ended up getting sentenced to life in prison in the Oregon State Prison System uh, without the possibility of parole. So life without parole. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so after that, that's when uh, that's when uh, I felt God was asking me to write a book about it. So I began writing the book. I thought I was finished writing the book. And uh, but God wanted me to write one more chapter. He wanted me to go visit Robert in prison. And so I through a, just a miraculous series of events. I was able to go visit with him. This was on April 11th of 2011, which was uh, the day before Good Friday that year. Mm-hmm. So I spent an hour with him, was able to uh, talk to him about uh, 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 the gospel and, and ended up praying with him. I have not seen him since then. Yeah. Uh, so I know he's in still. In, I mean, he's obviously in the prison system yet. I believe he's at Oregon State Penitentiary at this time. So I thought I was writing the book for parents who had lost <coughs> loved ones through murder, uh, uh, and I was. But God also had another plan for that. He uh, that book opened the door for me to go speak in prisons uh, around the country about Jesus Christ and, and forgiveness. I yeah. first spoke in several Oregon prisons, and then went to Washington. And, ended up speaking around the country about uh, Jesus and forgiveness. Well, and, and as I recall, and, and fill in the blank here or stop me if I'm jumping too far ahead, it was one of those prisons that you spoke at that was the impetus for paid in full. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up going to a prison in Louisiana uh, called Angola Prison, which used to be one of the bloodiest, most violent prison uh, in maximum security prison in the United States. In one year, over 20 men were murdered in that prison. Uh it sits on 18,000 acres. It's the only prison in the country with its own zip code. Uh, it has its own TV station, has its own radio station, has a rodeo that brings in $2.3 million a year. Uh, it uh, grows vegetables for itself and four other prisons. Uh, in 1995, uh, that prison drastically changed from the most violent to now it's one of the safest because the warden there, Burrow Kane, uh, asked the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary to come into the prison and implant a four-year college degree program there. That was in 1995. In 1999, they had their first graduating class, and the men were getting to know Jesus. The men's hearts were being transformed, Mm -hmm. and they were actually setting up churches within the Angola prison system there. Like I said, Angola sits on 18,000 acres. There's a main prison that houses 2,300 men. There's four satellite prisons around the main prison on that acreage there. And these days, there's about 6,300 men that are there. So I went down there. My wife and I went down there in October of 2013. We uh, uh, visited there for four days. Uh, I've never felt safer in my entire life. I felt safer there than walking the streets of Portland. And we had an amazing experience there, meeting with some of the men who were Mm -hmm. graduates and some of the men who were uh, students at Mm -hmm. the uh, seminary within Angola. Mm -hmm. So I ended up uh, going back several times. My wife and I went to the rodeo there, which was a pretty, pretty, uh, uh, that was an amazing event. Uh, And then ended up going back several other times. And so one time I was there with a warden, and his name is Burl Kane. And I was, I prayed for him, and I was leaving the next day. And uh, as I was, as we were leaving his office that evening, he said, hey, judge, uh, uh, sit down, you know, I want to pray for you. He said, close your close your eyes and bow your head. And so when the, when the warden of a maximum security prison says, sit down, close your eyes and bow your head, you do. do and I did. <laughs> and uh, this was his prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, don't let this man rest until they have a Bible college in the Oregon Department of Corrections. Amen. 
And so, so that was that to me. I said, Warden, why would you pray that prayer for me? Why would you want me to have no rest until something like that happens in Oregon? Well, you know, I said, I said, Warden, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know Oregon. It's one of the most unchurched states in the country. This will never happen. It's an impossible impossibility. Uh, why did you do this to me? Because it was all about me at this point. Because <laughs> I was the one he wanted to have uh, no rest until this happened. And he just looked at me in, 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 in his kind face and southern accent and drawl. And he said, Judge, he said, who do we worship? And I said, yeah, you're right, the God of the impossible. And so that planted the seed in me to do what's happening today in the yeah. Oregon prison system. Yeah. Wow. That's quite a backstory. It is pretty incredible. So I mean, there's a lot that's happened between that point and now. And so just describe that a little bit. Yeah. So when, when I came back, this was, in, this was in June of 2014 when the warden prayed that, that, that prayer that uh, just sort of changed my life, my trajectory at that point. I came back, and the first person I met was uh, Colette Peters, who's the director of the Oregon Department of Corrections. And I figured I might as well go to her. Uh, she's at the top of the food chain there as far as the prison system is concerned. And so I went. We had a conversation. I asked her if she'd be interested in sending a representative to Angola prison uh, on a field trip just to see what it was like to see the change. And, of course, she knew of Angola. Everybody in the prison system knows what Angola used to be like and what it's like now. And she said yes. And my jaw fell down, <laughs> fell down to my chest, I'm sure, huh. at that point. And then I started meeting other Oregon officials. So, can, And I'm, I'm sure this will come up more. Can we just look at, just briefly, just for a second, the sovereignty of God in this as, as who you are, a judge, having been involved with the drug court. D did you have much experience with the prison system at that point? Um, no, no. I mean, I, all I, my job was to put people in prison, right? I mean, that's yeah. what I do as a judge. I put people in there. Uh, and, you know, just how God, you know, just turns the world upside down. So not only did I end up, I mean, I put people in prison because that's what I was, that's what my job was. But I also ended up ministering to them in prison. Yeah. And so that was the, you know, that was the, the crazy thing about this is here I am. I'm putting people in, in prison. Then I'm going to the prisons mm -hmm. and ministering to those people that I'm putting in prison. Mm -hmm. And I think at that time, and, I, and maybe now, I'm, I think I was the only judge in the country that was doing something like that, putting people in prison yeah. and then going and ministering to them in prison. So, I mean, only God could do something like this. Yeah. Uh, only God could orchestrate this type of, this type of outcome. So yeah. you have this meeting with Colette. Mm -hmm. And then what? Well, then I started meeting other uh, <clears throat> Oregon government officials and other people. And so uh, we ended up scheduling a field trip to Angola Prison in January of 2015. And these are the people that went with me on that trip. Uh, there, there was the representative from the Department of Corrections, Oregon Department of Corrections. There were two state senators. Uh, there were two state representatives. There was somebody from the Criminal Justice Commission, the Attorney General, for the state of Oregon, heard that we were taking a group of people uh, down to Angola Prison and contacted me and wanted to know if somebody from her organization could come down. So in the end, we had a total of 12 people, which is kind of an unusual number, right? Well, 12 people. that's a lot of people. Yeah. 
And we all went down to Angola and spent four days down there. And the people there, the Oregon officials, just had an amazing experience. You know, they thought they were going to prison, and really they were going to church. They didn't realize that because yeah. everybody they ran into, most of the men that they ran into, would have this type of story. The man would say, "When I was in New Orleans or or Baton Rouge, committing crimes and doing drugs." I was in prison, and it wasn't until I was sentenced to Angola prison and started the seminary that I became free. So the, the Oregon officials were hearing on the outside, they're in prison. On the inside, they're free. And they were just simply amazed at, wow. the, at, the, uh, uh, at what they were hearing down yeah. there. So that was 2015. Uh, we came back. Uh, I retired on January 1st, 2016. And on my retirement vacation in Costa Rica, I got an email from a friend at DOC that said, hey, Tom, uh, the DOC is interested in putting a, or letting you put a faith-based university into the Oregon prison system to set up a four-year college degree program. Well, I couldn't get back to the States quick enough at that point and started meeting with people. And, of course, the first thing, one thing I had to do was to find out well, what college is going to be willing to do something like this because this costs money to to implant a college to start a new program. And yeah. so I ended up meeting with uh, the president of Corbin University, Sheldon Nord, and uh, we talked for a while, and uh, yeah, and I told him, I said, you know, I just feel God's put on my heart uh, he, that I'm, I'm going to start a nonprofit, uh, and uh, the nonprofit is going to pay for any costs that you have in putting your college into a prison in the state of Oregon. We're going to reimburse you for everything, and in fact, we're going to pay you a 10% administrative fee. Uh, and uh, so that kind of caught his ear. Uh, he sounded, he's, he was interested. And so then I went and talked to DOC people, and they actually gave us a classroom space uh, at one of the prisons in Oregon. And so that prison is Oregon State Correctional Institution. It's the prison as you're leaving Salem, uh, South Salem. They're going towards Detroit Lake. It's on your right-hand side there. It's a 950-person, 950-man prison there. So they gave us 3,300 square feet of classroom space. We needed to build two classrooms in that. Uh, so they were going to say, here, this is for you. Uh, you can start your college classes here, and uh, good luck. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so that was the process. We ended up, I started, uh, I filed the articles of, of incorporation for the nonprofit in February of 2000. Uh, actually, it's February 14th, Valentine's Day of 2017. Uh, Paid in Full Oregon is the name of the, or the nonprofit that I started. I'm the founder and director of that nonprofit. And we also promised the Department of Corrections that we would pay for all the remodeling costs that uh, were involved there. Yeah, I, I was going to say there's, there's, a, um, there's a lot of fundraising yes. and things that I know that, that have happened and God showing up in miraculous ways to, he, to, to support that. Yeah. Uh, would you like to share? Is there a few stories there? That oh, yeah, yeah. So he's been, I mean, it's so, so uh, last June you know, I had $2,000 in our account a year ago, so it would be June of 2018. We had $2,000 in our nonprofit account. Uh, I knew my retirement only lasted a short period of time. I've been redeployed now as a executive director, you know, of, uh, and founder of Paid in Full Oregon, and as a fundraiser, which I had no experience at at all. And so I met a lot of people in Oregon during the time I served as a judge for 20 years, but uh, never had any experiences with fundraising. And so 
Initially, we had to raise $44,500 to pay for the architect. So we had, to, we had to raise the money, put the money in the Department of Corrections special account. They went out and hired the architect. So yeah. before we could even begin the project, we had to hire the architect. And within two weeks of being notified that we needed that type of money, God put $48,000 into our account. So. Yeah. So we were able to come up with the money, and I think that kind of caught the attention of the Oregon Department of Corrections. They didn't know if we were going to be able to do that or not. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we did through God's, God's uh, gift there. And uh, then we, the, the architects were developing the plans, and we had to, they had to draw up the plans. And so the plans were eventually presented to the state. The architects said, uh, uh, indicated that the cost of the remodel was going to be $473,000. Now, see, we thought it'd be a couple hundred thousand dollars in the beginning at the most because we just had to build two classrooms into a 3,300-square-foot space that the DOC gave us at Oregon State Correctional Institution. So the problem with that is that it's, the building was built in 1959, and so whenever you remodel uh, something, uh, uh, the building code kicks in, yep. and you've got to upgrade all the systems, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, all the stuff that goes on there, the electric. I mean, it's, it is an amazing uh, – I mean, it, it, it's just a, uh, a pretty – Huge problem to have. So, so that's going to be the nicest 3,300 square feet <laughs> of space at DOC. And well, <laughs> the up you to know, code. it is difficult for DOC to, to understand that this is a gift to them. Yeah. They, they have a hard time understanding that because they, well, what if this, does, well, you know, what if, what if, what if? Well, you know, I'm not concerned about the what ifs. You know, this is God's vision. He's going to make provision. So, so we knew we had to have $473,000 into our account. And uh, do we have a time limit on this? Okay. No, you're good. Because <laughs> no, I can go on for a no, few days we're, about this. We're checking. <laughs> we'll, we'll, what I'd like to do is we'll, we'll get to the finish of the story, and then I know he's got questions. Okay. Right. So we do want to have some time for some questions. Okay. All righty. So, so, uh, so the number is $473,000. So, so uh, last summer, that, that was the number we had to raise. And so I ended up... You know, I ended up meeting with people. God connected me with people, this person and that person. And then we had our fundraiser last fall. It was the first fundraiser for Paid in Full Oregon. Our keynote speaker just happened to be Daryl Strawberry, who used to play baseball for the New York Mets and New yeah. York Yankees. Won four World Series with those teams. And uh, Daryl had gotten into trouble with drugs and, and uh, sex and, and alcohol and spent some time in prison. So he was kind of like our perfect keynote speaker. He yeah. didn't charge us anything for this uh, event, to come to this event. And so we ended up raising uh, $120,000 at our fundraiser then. And so throughout that period between uh, the fall of last year and through May of this year, I was fundraising. I mean, I was fundraising from the time I got up in the morning till the time I went to bed at night. Yeah. And then in May, uh, we needed we were uh, we were seventy eight thousand dollars short. We needed all the money in our account by the end of May of this year. We were seventy eight thousand dollars short. I ended up meeting with a businessman in Portland that I've been trying to meet with for six months, and we finally got our schedules together. I met with him. I went into his office. This was on May 24th of this year. And uh, we talked for about 45 minutes. He had actually ordered a copy of my book online and read it, so he knew, knew a little bit about the story. And uh, he said, who should I make the check out to? And I said, well, paid in full Oregon. And so he, he got out his checkbook and, and wrote out a check and 
turned it over on its face and slid it across the table to me. And, and uh, I reached for it, turned it over, and it was for $100,000. He needed seventy eight, And he gave us $100,000. Wow, so, so within probably four or five days after that, it was on June 4th of this year, I took a check down to the Oregon Department of Corrections for what everybody thought was the cost of the project, $473,000. I mean, and they were amazed, you yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> that, 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 uh, uh, that, that this nonprofit organization would come in and give them, you know, that type of money to remodel their, you know, uh, a classroom, a uh, building, a building space within their prison. So, so what that did is that, uh, so we had to have all the money in the account before we did anything else. So what that did then is that, that, uh, precipitated the following events. The state had to send those plans out on their on their website, and to and to solicit bids then from contractors. So it was a public bid process. So it was competitive bidding. Well, there were only two contractors that made a bid on that. Our bid opening day was July 23rd uh, of this year, and so uh, there were only two contractors. Contractors, you know, this is building a building a. Remodeling a, a room inside a prison is a very difficult thing. A lot of contractors don't even want to touch that, uh, but there were two out there that submitted their bids. So once again, now the number is $473,000. Uh, it's 2 o'clock on July 23rd. The contractors bring their bids in. They put them in a box. We pull them out. The contractors are there. We go back into a room. And the first bid we open is... Six hundred and ninety-nine thousand dollars, which is over, which is uh, uh, almost three hundred thousand yeah. dollars more yeah. than what they anticipated. The lowest bid we opened was five hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred eighty-seven dollars, which was one hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars more than what we had in the yeah. account. Yeah. And we needed to have that money within two weeks. <laughs> and so I felt like somebody kicked me in the gut. I mean, I mm. just. I went home. I had, you know, a couple of sleepless nights. I started contacting some people again. Uh, the money was due on August 9th uh, to DOC, the balance. And, of course, nobody thought we were going to be able to raise that kind of money in that yeah. period of time. Yeah. I'm sitting outside my house on Sunday afternoon. We had raised a bunch of money by that. You know, God had raised a bunch of money by that point in time. We were $76,000 short. I got an email from a donor who had come to our Fall fundraiser, and he said he and his wife had prayed about it, and they were gonna they were gonna take care of the balance seventy six thousand dollars. So we God raised one hundred eighty seven thousand dollars in in ten days. Ten days. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up taking the money down to. Uh, I took the money down to the state. Of course, some more eyes were opened at that yeah. time yeah. because they couldn't figure out who was behind this, you know. Yeah. And ultimately, God gets all the glory for this. And I think, yep. you know, not only will the prisoners, the students yeah. who end up coming to college, uh, be benefited by this and blessed by this, but but also this the people that are associated with this that see this thing going on with paid yeah. in full Oregon, this money that's coming in, no strings attached, you know, yeah. to, to remodel their, their building. What, what a gospel witness in so many ways, and, and I have some, some thoughts and some questions on that, too, that maybe at the end of this we can talk more about. But look how backwards this is. This is backwards for society to see people pouring money into those whom they would say are the castaways, the throwaways, the people who are actually draining money on society. I mean, that's one of the main criticisms we hear, right, Yeah. of the prison system or people going to prison. They're draining 
our money. And here, what's happening is we're pouring money into. Pouring it's money an upside-down world, right? It's upside-down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what I was just going to comment, like kind of going back earlier, as you said, the prisoners in Louisiana – saying how they're free in prison. Yeah. I mean, what a picture of the gospel, right? I mean, in, in all physical way, I mean, they're, they're prisoners. Um, but yet, that's really what the gospel does. The gospel sets us free. And that's really, I mean, what 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 the prisons need. If, if there's going to be actual reformation, if people are actually going to come out of prison mm-hmm. and contribute to society, or even those who are going to stay in prison... Um, if there's going to be hope for them, it, it's not by giving them 10 steps. It's not by, you know, helping them to have better listening skills. I mean, while those things can all be helpful, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, going back to like the book of Job where, you know, when Job is kind of re- being rebuked by God and God is saying, you know, I have these storehouses of rain and hell and snow and, and he has the storehouses of all the money. And that's what it seems like as you're, yeah. As you're saying, man, I had to raise, you know, $200,000 basically in 10 days. Well, for us, I mean, that's impossible. But yet God has this. And it's just neat how as you're talking about it, it is. It's like, wow, God, God did that. God did that. God had to, have, you know, unleash these funds and, and brought them forth for this to happen. And that's just incredible. I guess one of my questions would be, uh, how has how has your faith grown just in that process or in this process of just seeing how God keeps providing. Oh, it's been a faith builder. I mean, you know, one of the things that really comes to mind a lot for me is my, my, my inability to understand how great God is. And and by that, I mean, I pray for a cup of water when we have the whole ocean in front of us, right? (laughs) So we're only praying for a cup of water. And I mean, that to me is like, that's just taught me that lesson that, you know, we have unlimited resources. God has unlimited resources for us. And he's just, he's just done a remarkable work uh, with paid in full Oregon. Now I haven't even talked about what the program's about yet. You know, I've just talked about, you know, the, the, the money raising part, you know, in my weakness is I'm not a fundraiser, but in my weakness, God's power comes through because, because mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, but, but yeah. God, God does. And, you know, you take that one step at a time and, and uh, uh, God will provide, you know, there's, this is his vision. He's going to make provision for this project. So. Well, do you, I was going to ask, do you want to flesh that out for a little bit? Like, like what, what does this look like now? Like for one, has it started yet? Or are they still doing the remodeling and they getting it all fixed? Where, where are we at in the process? Okay, so so uh, the the remodel hasn't physically started yet. It's going to start on October sixth. It's going to be about a twelve week project. So this this goes to show you how much DOC is behind this project because they said we want you to start before the classroom is finished, and so we're going to find temporary classroom space for you so your college can begin earlier. So we're actually scheduled to begin college classes uh, on October 14th. Uh, and we're going to do it the old-fashioned way with pen and pen and paper. And, and the, you know, the professors from Corbin are actually coming in. It's live teaching. It's not online. Wow. Uh, and so uh, uh, that's going to start on October 14th, a week from today. On September 27th, we are having our first orientation. So myself uh, and uh, the director of Corbin's extension in 
in prison. We're going to uh, start the orientation process for the 25 men who have been selected. Now, we had 188 men throughout the Oregon prison system apply uh, for the college. And the DOC, they're the initial gatekeeper. Uh, they knocked, uh, they, they whittled that down to 83. And so 83 men then throughout the system, uh, their applications were submitted to Corbin. And one of the things on the application uh, is uh, they had to answer and they had to answer an essay question: Why do you want to go to college? And so uh, uh, the Corbin asked me to get involved with reading those answers. And so one day we we spent a day reading over the essay responses uh, from the the potential applicants, and they were amazing. I mean, you know, the professors who were grading them said these essays were better than than the incoming students' essays when they were applying to, to come to Corbin University. They were, they were just really uh, impressed with the, mm. the, the essay responses mm. from the uh, 83 inmates that uh, uh, were, were still left in the process yet. So we ended up reducing that to about uh, uh, 50 people after that, and uh, uh, they're they, they graded them 70, 70 needed 75 points to be entered into the application process, 75 to 100. Anybody that got below 75 was taken out of that process. So they ended up with around 50 guys. And so we had to choose 25 of those 50. And uh, so at this point also the Department of Justice is involved, and they're saying uh, we, we want this to be a lottery system. Uh, we don't want... DOC or Corbin to choose those people because that could subject DOC or Corbin to some type of discrimination claim. The, the college was open uh, to anybody in the Oregon prison system, any man in the Oregon prison system who had at least eight years left on his sentence, uh, and it was open to atheists, agnostics, Jews, Wicca, Hindu, Catholics, Christians, uh, uh, anybody. And so, so we wanted to make sure that there was no discrimination, obviously, there at all. So, so the DOC was concerned about how, they, how the final people were chosen. They said lottery. I was a little, when I heard that, a little offended by that. Well, wait, we, wanna, we, were, we, we see some really good essays here. We, these people should be in the class. And uh, the Department of Justice lawyers said, nah, nah, we want nope. we lottery, yeah. <laughs> but... But doesn't God control the lottery? Yeah. <laughs> so so it, that's how we viewed it in yeah. the end anyway. Yeah. So, 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 you know, God, so now we have 25 men in, in the program. And uh, uh, we had the orientation a week from today. And God chose those 25 men yeah. to be in. The, this is the first ever in the Northwest. Nothing like this has ever happened. Uh, this is the first uh, college degree program that's opened up for the entire prison system in the Northwest. Wow. There, there are 16 other states that are doing something similar to what we're doing. So, what is the is, is there a specific degree that's offered? Yeah. So Corbin, the, these men will get the same degree that students going to Corbin University on the outside get. Uh, they have a four-year curriculum that's already been developed. Uh, they're going to require. Uh, they're going to need at least 30 hours of psychology, 30 hours of theology, and then math, science, and history. Uh, it's going to be a Bachelor of Science degree in liberal arts with an emphasis in psychology, social service, and leadership. That's the degree these men are going to get. And, and like I said, it's the same degree that somebody on the outside could get. So 
the reason I said these men need at least eight years left in their sentence is because they'll get their degree in four years, and then they'll have four years left in their sentence at least so that they can be sent out like missionaries throughout the rest of the Oregon prison system to be mentors and counselors wow, uh, yeah. to the other men there. They're going to be mental health helpers. This is DOC. Is, is, you know, DOC sees an opportunity here to use these men yeah. to create shalom or peace in the prison yeah. system that that noise level is going to go down uh, in the prison system. And so, so they're going to be mental health helpers. They're going to work in hospice programs. Uh, they're going to be chaplain's assistants. Uh, DOC is really excited, I believe, about how they're going to be able to use these men when they send them out. As They don't call them missionaries. I call them missionaries. They just send them out. Oh, totally. I, you know, it's, God calls us to go make disciples of all nations and all places, and there are some places that are hard to get to. Right. And, and yet This is a very unique community, right? <laughs> and what's amazing here is, is actually God is, is using, I mean, the state— largely in a means of and using resources to send missionaries throughout Oregon. I mean, in one sense, you could say, man, wouldn't the point just be to, to get these guys reformed and get them back out so they're contributing to society? But now they're going to be going to different prisons, mentoring, sharing the gospel. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is pretty in, insane. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, well, and, and it's a means of culture change, and I think that's probably what the – what the the state system is seeing yeah, is it yeah. the benefit the benefit to this to the state prison system? Um, this is going to change the culture from the inside yes, out. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which which is how the church should function too. Totally right. As as the the, the culture of the church um, is embedded in the community, we should be changing the culture of the community. Well, I think when out. when it's in a system like this, also. Where a largely, I think, the prison system could be characterized by, well, hopeless in a sense. Yeah. But to even hear what you said about the prison in Louisiana, Angola, how that has been changed night and day differently. I mean, that shines forth of the gospel. And now to see that here being able to, to begin yeah. to happen, uh, what a beautiful way to live out like Matthew 5.14. You're the light of the world here. The gospel is just set on display on changing people's lives and seeing a reform take place that, that's only explainable by God's word. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we use that analogy a lot of time. One candle in a dark room can really light up that room. And so these men are going to go into the deep, dark places of the Oregon prison system where none of us can go. And they're going to be that light in the room. And, yeah, man, it's awesome. And they're going to be able to articulate the gospel in a way that's meaningful to their fellow, yeah. fellow inmates. So. Yeah, so, you know, 95% of the people that I put in prison or any other judge puts in prison are going to be released back into our communities. And so the question becomes then, how do we want them to come back into our communities? Do we want them to come back with hardened hearts and a 45 strap to their waistband or with transformed hearts and a college degree in their hand or even a Bible in their hand? I mean, the question is really, really easy to answer. Yeah. yeah. Well, where are you at now? So so we have... um, we have a classroom and a remodel that's taking place that's been funded. Uh, we have you're starting off with pens and papers in the hand, but uh, as you look forward, as you march forward now, it just seems that God keeps putting fundraising opportunities in front of you or needs, should I say? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on right now that that's a need for you guys? Well, right now, uh, so so we have uh, 
uh, found laptop computers. Now, Oregon, the Oregon State Prison System does not allow their inmates to have laptop computers. There's no internet access or anything like that. So we have found an organization out of California that uh, manufactures, uh, uh, they call it SecureBook, which is a laptop computer specially designed for the prison environment. And so the Oregon Department of Corrections has taken a huge step of faith by giving us permission to buy each one of our inmate students a laptop computer. Wow. We're going we're gonna to download Logos, which is a, uh, a software program that a lot of churches and Christian universities... I use it. We use it. So Logos has actually donated their program to us. So, so it didn't Man, cost... They don't donate that to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they've donated that to us. We're going to be able to download that on the computers. That's amazing. And, and all the men are going to have access to that because they're going to need study materials, yep. references. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so that's a huge source of references for the men. So, so this is the first time in the Oregon Department of Corrections history where they're allowing laptops. So laptops aren't free, right? They cost money. So uh, we've computed the cost of a laptop, including some programs, at around $634 each. We're going to need 27 computers because we got 25 men in the program. We want to have at least a couple extra in case there's some breakage or something. So uh, we've been we've been promoting a campaign to can you buy us a computer? So we've had uh, over the last month and a half or so. So we've had I think we're now right at uh, 18 and a half computers. That the, the money for 18 and a half computers has been donated. I know we're going to get the balance of it pretty soon, but it's $634 per computer. If somebody wants to, yeah. you can go to the website, paidinfull.org. Uh, there's a donate button there. If I see a 634, I know exactly what that what that's for, and that's how we identify that. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've been, you know, we've just had very, very generous supporters that paid in full. So that's that's one of our needs. We also have a fundraiser coming up on November 9th. Uh, and our goal there is to raise $203,000. That's the operating expenses for our first year. So we had phase one, which was the money needed to do the remodel right. of the prison. And then phase two is the uh, uh, capital uh, or, or is the uh, operational expenses for the first year. So so that's paying for teachers or what all is that paying? For? Yeah, the $203,000 is paying some of it for computers. Uh, we we agreed to, re, as I said earlier, paid in full, agreed to reimburse Corbin for all the costs associated with yeah. putting their accreditation into mm -hmm. uh, the Oregon State Correctional Institution. So they had to go out and hire a program director yep. uh, to, to administer this program on campus and on campus at Corbin and on campus to the Corbin Extension and OSCI. So we're paying for, for the salary for that person. We're paying for the salary of any other, uh, uh, any other uh, uh, professors that are used, adjunct professors on that. Uh, there's administration costs to, to Corbin University. There's books that we have to buy. Uh, there are just the normal office supplies, right. you know, yeah. a copier machine, you know, those type of things that we have to provide to the Corbin staff inside the, the prison. So so that 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 that's where the two hundred and three thousand dollars comes yeah. into play. Uh, paid in full. I mean I'm I'm doing this for free. Uh, yeah. You know, I've I've been very blessed with a with a decent retirement from the state of Oregon and so so I've actually worked 
more on this than I did as a judge. And this, <laughs> so, and this has been a lot harder than, than being a judge. So, because yeah. yeah, I'm learning all new skills. Well, Tom, what, what would you say is uh, maybe the most pressing or most exciting, or or something that you haven't shared that would that you want to share now in regards to this? Like, what else would you say just to help us grasp the whole message? And yeah. Yeah. So the men that are going to be in the program are going to be transformed. They're going to learn more about Jesus. Every subject that they're, that's going to be taught by Corbin University professors is going to have biblical principles integrated into the subject. So even though it's history or math, there's going to be biblical principles that are, that are uh, taught in that subject. So, you know, that's one aspect, aspect of it. The other aspect is the the people at Department of Corrections, the corrections officers will see these men change. Yeah. They're, they're going to they're gonna be impacted. They have been impacted by seeing uh, how, how faithful the citizens of Oregon are and how, how sincere they are about changing the culture yeah. of the Oregon prison system by the money that they've contributed to, to this. The other aspect of this is the families on the outside. Each one of those prisoners has a family on the outside, yeah. you know father, mother, sister, daughter, aunt, uncle, whatever, you know, and, and, and what this does, what this college in, in prison does is it gives those families on the outside hope for their loved one inside the prison. Yeah. You know, now, instead of saying, well, my, my loved one is doing time, he'll get out whatever, whenever, uh, they can say, you know, but he's really using his time. He's, he's going to get a college degree. And, and he's going to get the same type of college degree that somebody else would get on the outside. And, in fact, we've <laughs> we figured out uh, the, the estimate for the cost of a college degree for, for an inmate, a uh, student inmate at OSCI, spread out over four years. Uh, it's going to be $5,500 a year. That, that, that's what it would cost to do that. Uh, the first year is going to be a lot more expensive than that. But we just anticipated what it would be for four years. At $5,500 a year, which is $22,000 for a college degree. If they go to college at Corbin University, how much is that going to cost? Probably about 130000 or 140000 So you take a look at what is the return on investment. So if somebody really wants to get involved in this, if a church wants to get involved, they could, they could provide a scholarship for one of, the, one of these students that are at OSCI per year. $5,500 for a church uh, to provide a scholarship for one one of the one of the student inmates there. So, you know, so. as you say that, like that's actually a little bit where my mind was going. Is is there a way for? I mean, I'm just throwing out Hope Fellowship here. You know, you're in Oregon, uh, <laughs> but on the fifty five hundred dollars, let, let's say that that's no problem. Okay, we, we can come up with the money. But is there a relationship that they can have? Then is is there, would there be a way for that to take place for? For the church to be able to be praying and knowing the needs for the inmate to be able to have some type of reciprocal relationship. Yeah, it's uh, kind of like sponsor a child, you know, that sort of concept. Yeah. But, yeah, the church could would, would know. I mean, if they wanted to designate a particular individual, they could see profiles of individuals. Hey, we choose Joe here to, right. to, to provide a scholarship for him for the next four years. You know, they, they could start, you know, a, a letter-writing campaign yeah. with him. They, there's no reason why they couldn't be put on his visitor list and go visit with him. There's no reason why somebody at church here who, mm. who is a really good math student or something like that or tutor couldn't go in, like, one 
one hour a week uh, uh, to to help this person yeah. with with math. So yeah, you can develop all sorts of potential relationships, and of course, eventually these people are going to get out too. Yeah. Uh, so there'd be opp- churches then. What a cool way to get connected, yeah. or at least to. to do. I just came up with a with a mission for you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. So, yeah. so you keep talking. You, you keep looking at uh, at Bobby, Nick, and you talk about him being here in Oregon. Now, what yeah. happens when Washington uh-huh. gets? Man, his, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. You know what? I've been hired by a national organization Uh-oh. to go around the country. Go. I've been assigned the Western states. Yeah. So I'm going to be going up to Walla Walla, Washington. Yeah. Uh, in a couple of weeks, meeting with some prison people there. And we're going to try to get somebody to be a catalyst up there to start the same type of program. Man, that'd be amazing in, in Washington. I know there's Whitman University and Walla Walla University yeah. that are in Walla Walla. There's a maximum security prison in Walla Walla, Walla Walla, and a medium security there. I've spoken at both of those. Yeah. And so, uh, so there is this this something you can be praying for, which you'll have an opportunity to give to that prison up there. But just because there's a river between Washington and Oregon doesn't mean that you can't contribute totally, down here in Oregon. Totally. So. No, that's, <laughs> it's exciting. I mean, exciting. I mean, what an awesome just mission field to be praying for, for these guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm super excited and thrilled just to hear about this. Yeah. 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 Well, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the story, and uh, uh, who knows where all this is going to yeah. lead. So, yeah. to God be the glory, the, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, as just kind of wrapping up, um, I want to go back to, to to what you went back to too, as well. The the conversation, or should I say, um, uh, in Angola, uh, what what the, all the officials heard, the Oregon officials as they went. You know, they found that they were they were slaves outside. Uh, basically, they were in prison, right? And they were more free behind the prison walls than they've ever been. We, we're going through the Book of John yeah. at Hope, and it'll probably be like a two-year uh, uh, stint because that's just it's there's, a lot, there's a lot there. Uh, but it just—I mean, we were just there. John, John A. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, right? And he's telling them, "If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples." And this is what you're giving them an opportunity to do to abide in, in the word of God. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. Jesus said again, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's all of us, right? That's, that's everyone. Uh, but, he, but he says this, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And, and that's what we're praying for. We're praying for freedom, you know, freedom uh, from, well, from sin. Yeah. Uh, Freedom from the ch- from the chains that, that these men have, have experienced, you know, that that have landed them in prison. Um, freedom uh, from disbelief. Um, freedom from that shame too and guilt yeah. that can so hold on to them. Yeah. You know, as you as you bring up John and, and just the word sets us free. You, you think, what does that look like lived out? And then you go to like Paul and Silas in the Book of Acts. And they're thrown in prison. They're in stocks. And yet they're singing praises to God. And that's, that's kind of the picture you get of, of these guys who are in prison. And, and what you realize is, man, circumstances don't determine our hope. Circumstances don't determine the joy that we have. It's, it's Christ yeah. transforms all of that. And we see that in, in Paul and Silas in the book of Acts. See that in Gola where men who are, are, are prisoners are free. Mm-hmm. And, and really that's our, that's our desire for everyone. Uh, that's our desire for really what, what you're bringing forth here in Oregon for inmates here, yeah. but even us on the outside, 
um, that we would not be held captive to to the very sins, uh, to the very things that are around us, but that we would know the truth of Jesus Christ uh, because he is the one who has set us free, that we would have life and life everlasting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so let me just give you one example. I think to me the, the idea of this partnership between a nonprofit, a government organization, and a Christian university is just uh, truly unbelievable. But uh, uh, just to show you once again how much the Department of Corrections is behind this project, uh, I talked about we had Daryl Strawberry, you know, at our first fundraiser last year. Uh, so this year I wanted to have like a couple of video stories of the students in our class, you know, two videos of, of two students and show them at the fundraiser so that the people could see who they're, who they're, who they're giving money to, you know, providing the, the education for the, the, the providing a, a good gospel knowledge. And so, uh, I was talking to, uh, one of the, uh, uh, uh one of the officials at uh, DOC one time and, and she and I was asking her if that could happen, and she said, "Well, yeah." She said that that could happen. You can come in because it's really difficult to take pictures inside a prison, do videos. She said, "We'll let you do that." She said, "But how about this time? How about if we do those two videos, and then we bring those two students to your fundraiser itself, and let them testify at the at the fundraiser?" Wow. And and I said, "You would do that for us?" Yeah. Yes, we do that. We are so much behind this project. So that's what's going to happen on November 9th at our fundraiser this year. So we don't need Daryl. These two students that are going to be there yeah. are going to be ten times better than yeah. Daryl Strawberry yep. was yep. last year. Yeah, oh, these, man, these, praise God. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. it's cool just how how God is putting all these pieces together. Yeah, yeah. Even in our short time, I feel like we have heard you know twenty, thirty different ways that God's behind yes. all of this yeah. and orchestrating and working and, working yeah. and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So I've got the fundraising stories can be for some other time because God has given me so many fundraising stories. Yeah, Yeah. praise God. That's great. Well, hey, well, let's pray. Uh, Hey, Nick, would you want to pray? Let's do it. Tom and paid in full. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and Lord, we just praise you. We praise you that you are God, that you are good, uh, that you are awesome, that you are holy. That, Lord, you are sustaining the entire cosmos at this moment with just a word from your mouth. And that, Lord, you are sovereign over all events. And, Lord, we just thank you for how we've heard just the testimony from Tom and how you have been working in his life. And how you have used him uh, to bring about an incredible ministry here in Oregon, paid in full Oregon. Lord, where, where the gospel is going forth to prisoners for the purpose of that they may know you, for the purpose that they would know you, trust in you, and they would mentor and spread the gospel to others. God, we pray for your continued blessing on this. God, give Tom all the wisdom that he needs, the discernment that he needs. May you continue to raise up leaders. Lord, we pray that as he goes to Washington and other states, that that other states would would begin adopting this practice and bringing seminaries into their, uh, their prisons, that that, Lord, the gospel would go forth, and may, may we as churches, may we not be on the outside just looking, but, Lord, help us to see ways that we can actively participate and sponsor and pray and uh, minister to these people as well. Lord, we thank you uh, for how you are, are sending forth your gospel and how you are equipping people uh, for this very task. Uh, thank you, Lord, how you are even using the state 
and the resources there to accomplish this. Uh, God, we pray for great fruit, great blessing. Thank you for Corbin University and, and how they're participating in this and you're using them. Lord, we thank you for already the work that you've done in Angola. Uh, we pray that you would continue to, to work there and that the prisoners there would continue to hear your gospel, would be transformed, and would share your gospel with others. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. You know, I would like to add one more thing on, on to this. This is, this is really, I think, the most, the craziest part of this whole story is that uh, so we go from, you know, the murder of a beautiful young 21-year-old woman to, yeah. to forgiveness, to a book, to speaking with the murderer in prison, to traveling around the country, speaking in prisons, going to Angola, uh, and then eventually having a college in prison. Think about this for a second. So <clears throat> this college that's here at OSCI in Oregon Robert, the man who murdered my daughter, could end up going to college and getting a college degree and end up speaking the gospel to his fellow inmates for the rest of his life in prison only because he murdered my daughter. So, so, so you know, you take a look at that. Only God could orchestrate a plan like that. So nobody, no man could ever come up with a story like that. Wow. Yeah. Tom, I was actually, it went through my mind earlier, and I was going to ask you, What would happen if Robert's application was put in? I think he would be considered just like anybody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to see him get in. Yeah. yeah. That would be my, my, my heart's desire. I would love to see him go through this yeah. college. And he doesn't need to be a Christian to start it. Yeah. But uh, my guess is that after he hears Jesus for four years, he'll be one. So, yeah. 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 Praise God. Uh, okay. And what hope. And what a powerful word from you. And, and just evidence of God's grace in you to see that and to desire that. Um, that's grace. Well, hey, you've been listening to Satisfied. You can find more of our podcasts and resources at www.satisfiedinchrist.life. Yes, that's dot L-I-F-E. We will have uh, uh, Tom's book, uh, Losing Megan, and other resources uh, located yeah we'll link website. the website to uh we'll put that in our resource uh-huh. page also so that you guys can be praying or contributing to that also yes. uh you've been listening to satisfied in christ life yeah.